0: Chapter 1 Of How We Think This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1 The Problem of Training Thought. Chapter 1 What is Thought? 1. Varied Senses of the Term. Four Senses of Thought from the Wider to the Limited. No words are oftener on our lips than thinking and thought. So profuse and varied, indeed, is our use of these words that it is not easy to define just what we mean by them. The aim of this chapter is to find a single consistent meaning. Assistance may be had by considering some typical ways in which the terms are employed, In the first place, thought is used broadly, not to say loosely. Everything that comes to mind, that goes through our heads, is called a thought. To think of a thing is just to be conscious of it in any way whatsoever. Second, the term is restricted by excluding whatever is directly presented. We think, or think of only such things as we do not directly see, hear, smell, or taste. Then third, the meaning is further limited to beliefs that rest upon some kind of evidence or testimony. Of this third type, two kinds, or rather two degrees, must be discriminated. In some cases, a belief is accepted with slight or almost no attempt state the grounds that support it. In other cases, the ground or basis for a belief is deliberately sought and its adequacy to support the belief examined. This process is called reflective thought. It alone is truly educative in value, and it forms, accordingly, the principal subject of this volume. WE SHALL NOW BRIEFLY DESCRIBE EACH OF THE FOUR SENSES. CHANCE AND idle THINKING 1. IN ITS LOOSEST SENSE, THINKING SIGNIFIES EVERYTHING THAT, AS WE SAY, IS IN OUR HEADS, OR THAT GOES THROUGH OUR MINDS. HE WHO OFFERS A PENNY FOR YOUR THOUGHTS DOES NOT EXPECT TO DRIVE ANY GREAT BARGAIN. In calling the objects of his demand thoughts, he does not intend to ascribe to them dignity, consecutiveness, or truth. Any idle fancy, trivial recollection, or flitting impression will satisfy his demand. Daydreaming, building of castles in the air, that loose flux of causal and disconnected material that floats through our minds in relaxed moments are in this random sense, thinking. More of our waking life than we should care to admit, even to ourselves, is likely to be wild away in this inconsequential, trifling with idle fancy and unsubstantial hope. Reflective thought is consecutive, not merely a sequence. In this sense, silly folk and dullards think, the story is told of a man in slight repute for intelligence, who, desiring to be chosen selectman in his New England town, addressed a knot of neighbors in this wise. I hear you don't believe I know enough to hold office. I wish you to understand that I am thinking about something or other most of the time. Now, reflective thought is like this random coursing of things through the mind in that it consists of a succession of things thought of, but it is unlike in that the mere chance occurrence of any chance, something or other, in an irregular sequence does not suffice. Reflection involves not simply a sequence of ideas, but a consequence. A consecutive ordering in such a way that each determines the next as its proper outcome while each in turn leans back on its predecessors the successive portions of the reflective thought grow out of one another and support one another they do not come and go in a medley each phase is a step from something to something technically speaking It is a term of thought. Each term leaves a deposit which is utilized in the next term. The stream or flow becomes a train, chain, or thread. The restrictions of thinking to what goes beyond direct observation. Reflective thought aims, however, at belief. 2. Even when thinking is used in a broad sense, it is usually restricted to matters not directly perceived, to what we do not see, smell, hear, or touch. We ask the man telling a story if he saw a certain incident happen, and his reply may be, No, I only thought of it. A note of invention, as distinct from faithful record of observation, is present. Most important in this class are successions of imaginative incidents and episodes which, having a certain coherence, hanging together on a continuous thread, lie between kaleidoscopic flights of fancy and considerations deliberately employed to establish a conclusion. The imaginative stories poured forth by children possess all degrees of internal congruity. Some are disjointed, some are articulated. When connected, they simulate reflective thought. Indeed, they usually occur in minds of logical capacity. These imaginative enterprises often precede thinking of the close-knit type and prepare the way for it. But they do not aim at knowledge, at belief about facts or in truths, and thereby they are marked off from reflective thought, even when they most resemble it. Those who express such thoughts do not expect credence, but rather credit for a well-constructed plot or a well-arranged climax. They produce good stories, not, unless by chance, knowledge. Such thoughts are an efflorescence of feeling the enhancement of a mood or sentiment is their aim. Congruity of emotion, their binding tie. Thought induces belief in two ways. 3. In its next sense, thought denotes belief resting upon some basis, that is, real or supposed knowledge going beyond what is directly present. It is marked by acceptance or rejection, Of something as reasonably probable or improbable. This phase of thought, however, includes two such distinct types of belief that, even though their difference is strictly one of degree, not of kind, it becomes practically important to consider them separately. Some beliefs are accepted when their grounds have not themselves been considered, others are accepted. BECAUSE THEIR GROUNDS HAVE BEEN EXAMINED. WHEN WE SAY, MEN USED TO THINK THE WORLD WAS FLAT, OR, I THOUGHT YOU WENT BY THE HOUSE, WE EXPRESS BELIEF. SOMETHING IS ACCEPTED, HELD TO, ACQUIESCED IN, OR AFFIRMED. BUT SUCH THOUGHTS MAY MEAN A SUPPOSITION ACCEPTED WITHOUT REFERENCE TO ITS REAL GROUNDS. THESE MAY BE ADEQUATE, THEY MAY NOT, but their value with reference to the support they afford the belief has not been considered. Such thoughts grow up unconsciously and without reference to the attainment of correct belief. They are picked up, we know not how. From obscure sources and by unnoticed channels, they insinuate themselves into acceptance and become unconsciously a part of our mental furniture tradition instruction imitation all of which depend upon authority in some form or appeal to our own advantage or fall in with a strong passion are responsible for them such thoughts are prejudices that is prejudgments not judgments proper that rest upon a survey of evidence THINKING, IN ITS BEST SENSE, IS THAT WHICH CONSIDERS THE BASIS AND CONSEQUENCES OF BELIEFS. 4. THOUGHTS THAT RESULT IN BELIEF HAVE AN IMPORTANCE ATTACHED TO THEM WHICH LEADS TO REFLECTIVE THOUGHT, TO CONSCIOUS INQUIRY INTO THE NATURE, CONDITIONS, AND BEARINGS OF THE BELIEF. TO THINK OF WHALES AND CAMELS IN THE CLOUDS IS TO ENTERTAIN OURSELVES WITH FANCIES terminable at our pleasure which do not lead to any belief in particular but to think of the world as flat is to ascribe a quality to a real thing as its property this conclusion denotes a connection among things and hence is not like imaginative thought plastic to our mood belief in the world's flatness commits him who holds it to thinking in certain specific ways of other objects, such as the heavenly bodies, antipodes, the possibility of navigation. It prescribes to him actions in accordance with his conception of these objects. The consequences of a belief upon other beliefs and upon behavior may be so important, then, that men are forced to consider the grounds or reasons of their belief and its logical consequences. This means reflective thought, thought in its eulogistic and emphatic sense. Reflective Thought Defined Men thought the world was flat until Columbus thought it to be round. The earlier thought was a belief held because men had not the energy or the courage to question what those about them accepted and taught, especially as it was suggested and seemingly confirmed by obvious sensible facts. The thought of Columbus was a reasoned conclusion. It marked the close of study into facts, of scrutiny and revision of evidence, of working out the implications of various hypotheses, and of comparing these theoretical results with one another and with known facts. Because Columbus did not accept unhesitatingly the current traditional theory, because he doubted and inquired, he arrived at his thought. Skeptical of what, from long habit, seemed most certain, and credulous of what seemed impossible, he went on thinking until he could produce evidence for both his confidence and his disbelief. Even if his conclusion had finally turned out wrong, it would have been a different sort of belief from those it antagonized, because it was reached by a different method. Active, persistent, and careful consideration of any belief or supposed form of knowledge, in the light of the grounds that support it, and the further conclusions to which it tends, constitutes reflective thought. Any one of the first three kinds of thought may elicit this type, but once begun, it is a conscious and voluntary effort to establish belief upon a firm basis of reasons. 2. THE CENTRAL FACTOR IN THINKING There is a common element in all types of thought. There are, however, no sharp lines of demarcation between the various operations just outlined. The problem of attaining correct habits of reflection would be much easier than it is did not the different modes of thinking blend insensibly into one another. So far, we have considered rather extreme instances of each kind in order to get the field clearly before us. Let us now reverse this operation. Let us consider a rudimentary case of thinking, lying between careful examination of evidence and a mere irresponsible stream of fancies. A man is walking on a warm day. The sky was clear the last time he observed it, but presently he notes, while occupied primarily with other things, that the air is cooler. It occurs to him that it is probably going to rain. Looking up, he sees a dark cloud between him and the sun, and he then quickens his steps. What, if anything, in such a situation can be called thought? Neither the act of walking nor the noting of the cold is a thought. Walking is one direction of activity. Looking and noting are other modes of activity. The likelihood that it will rain is, however, something suggested. The pedestrian feels the cold. He thinks of clouds and a coming shower, viz. suggestion of something not observed, but reflection involves also the relation of signifying. So far there is in the same sort of situation as when one looking at a cloud is reminded of a human figure and face. Thinking in both of these cases, the cases of belief and of fancy, involves a noted or perceived fact, followed by something else which is not observed but which is brought to mind, suggested by the thing seen. One reminds us, as we say, of the other. Side by side, however, With this factor of agreement in the two cases of suggestion is a factor of marked disagreement. We do not believe in the face suggested by the cloud. We do not consider at all the probability of its being a fact. There is no reflective thought. The danger of rain, on the contrary, presents itself to us as a genuine possibility as a possible fact of the same nature as the observed coolness. Put differently, we do not regard the cloud as meaning or indicating a face, but merely as suggesting it, while we do consider that the coolness may mean rain. In the first case, seeing an object, we just happen, as we say, to think of something else. In the second, we consider the possibility and nature of the connection between the object seen and the object suggested. The seen thing is regarded as in some way the ground or basis of belief in the suggested thing. It possesses the quality of evidence. Various Synonymous Expressions for the Function of Signifying This function by which one thing signifies or indicates another, and thereby leads us to consider how far one may be regarded as warrant for belief in the other, is, then, the central factor in all reflective or distinctively intellectual thinking. By calling up various situations to which such terms as signifies and indicates apply, the student will best realize for himself the actual facts denoted by the words reflective thought synonyms for these terms are points to tells of betokens prognosticates represents stands for implies we also say one thing portends another is ominous of another or a symptom of it or a key to it or if the connection is quite obscure that it gives a hint, clue, or intimation. REFLECTION AND BELIEF ON EVIDENCE Reflection thus implies that something is believed in, or disbelieved in, not on its own direct account, but through something else which stands as witness, evidence, proof, voucher, warrant—that is, as ground of belief. At one time, rain is actually felt or directly experienced. At another time, we infer that it has rained from the looks of the grass and trees, or that it is going to rain because of the condition of the air or the state of the barometer. At one time, we see a man, or suppose we do, without any intermediary fact. At another time, we are not quite sure what we see, AND HUNT FOR accompanying FACTS THAT WILL SERVE AS SIGNS, INDICATIONS, TOKENS OF WHAT IS TO BE BELIEVED. THINKING, FOR THE PURPOSES OF THIS INQUIRY, IS DEFINED ACCORDINGLY AS THAT OPERATION IN WHICH PRESENT FACTS SUGGEST OTHER FACTS, OR TRUTHS, IN SUCH A WAY AS TO INDUCE BELIEF IN THE LATTER UPON THE GROUND OR WARRANT OF THE FORMER. We do not put beliefs that rest simply on inference on the surest level of assurance. To say, I think so, implies that I do not as yet know so. The inferential belief may later be confirmed and come to stand as sure, but in itself it has always a certain element of supposition. 3. Elements in Reflective Thinking so much for the description of the more external and obvious aspects of the fact called thinking. Further consideration at once reveals certain sub-processes which are involved in every reflective operation. These are a. a state of perplexity, hesitation, doubt, and b. an act of search or investigation directed toward bringing to light further facts which serve to corroborate or to nullify the suggested belief the importance of uncertainty a in our illustration the shock of coolness generated confusion and suspended belief at least momentarily because it was unexpected it was a shock or an interruption needing to be accounted for identified or placed to say that the abrupt occurrence of the change of temperature constitutes a problem may sound forced and artificial but if we are willing to extend the meaning of the word problem to whatever no matter how slight and commonplace in character perplexes and challenges the mind so that it makes belief at all uncertain there is a genuine problem or question involved in this experience of sudden change and of inquiry in order to test. b. The turning of the head, the lifting of the eyes, the scanning of the heavens are activities adapted to bring to recognition facts that will answer the question presented by the sudden coolness. The facts as they first presented themselves were perplexing they suggested however clouds the act of looking was an act to discover if this suggested explanation held good it may again seem forced to speak of this looking almost automatic as an act of research or inquiry but once more if we are willing to generalize our conceptions of our mental operations to include the trivial and ordinary as well as the technical and recondite, there is no good reason for refusing to give such a title to the act of looking. The purport of this act of inquiry is to confirm or to refute the suggested belief. New facts are brought to perception, which either corroborate the idea that a change of weather is imminent or negate it. Finding One's Way An Illustration of Reflection. Another instance, commonplace also, yet not quite so trivial, may enforce this lesson. A man traveling in an unfamiliar region comes to a branching of the roads. Having no sure knowledge to fall back upon, he is brought to a standstill of hesitation and suspense. Which road is right? And how shall perplexity be resolved? there are but two alternatives. He must either blindly and arbitrarily take his course, trusting to luck for the outcome, or he must discover grounds for the conclusion that a given road is right. Any attempt to decide the matter by thinking will involve inquiry into other facts, whether brought out by memory or by further observation or by both. The perplexed wayfarer must carefully scrutinize what is before him, and he must cudgel his memory. He looks for evidence that will support belief in favor of either of the roads, for evidence that will weigh down one suggestion. He may climb a tree. He may go first in this direction, then in that, looking, in either case, for signs, clues, indications." HE WANTS SOMETHING IN THE NATURE OF A SIGNBOARD OR A MAP, AND HIS REFLECTION IS AIMED AT THE DISCOVERY OF FACTS THAT WILL SERVE THIS PURPOSE. POSSIBLE YET INCOMPATIBLE SUGGESTIONS THE ABOVE ILLUSTRATION MAY BE GENERALIZED. THINKING BEGINS IN WHAT MAY FAIRLY ENOUGH BE CALLED A FORKED ROAD SITUATION, A SITUATION WHICH IS AMBIGUOUS which presents a dilemma, which proposes alternatives. As long as our activity glides smoothly along from one thing to another, or as long as we permit our imagination to entertain fancies at pleasure, there is no call for reflection. Difficulty or obstruction in the way of reaching a belief brings us, however, to a pause. In the suspense of uncertainty, we metaphorically climb a tree. We try to find some standpoint from which we may survey additional facts and, getting a more commanding view of the situation, may decide how the facts stand related to one another. REGULATION OF THINKING BY ITS PURPOSE Demand for the solution of a perplexity is the steadying and guiding factor in the entire process of reflection where there is no question of a problem to be solved or a difficulty to be surmounted the course of suggestions flows on at random we have the first type of thought described if the stream of suggestions is controlled simply by their emotional congruity their fitting agreeably into a single picture or story we have the second type. But a question to be answered, an ambiguity to be resolved, sets up an end and holds the current of ideas to a definite channel. Every suggested conclusion is tested by its reference to this regulating end, by its pertinence to the problem in hand. This need of straightening out a perplexity also controls the kind of inquiry undertaken. A traveler whose end is the most beautiful path will look for other considerations and will test suggestions occurring to him on another principle than if he wishes to discover the way to a given city. The problem fixes the end of thought, and the end controls the process of thinking. 4. Summary. Origin and stimulus. We may recapitulate by saying that the origin of thinking is some perplexity, confusion, or doubt. Thinking is not a case of spontaneous combustion. It does not occur just on general principles. There is something specific which occasions and evokes it. General appeals to a child or to a grown-up to think, irrespective of the existence of his own experience of some difficulty that troubles him and disturbs his equilibrium, are as futile as advice to lift himself by his bootstraps. Suggestions and Past Experience Given a difficulty, the next step is suggestion of some way out, the formation of some tentative plan or project. THE ENTERTAINING OF SOME THEORY WHICH WILL ACCOUNT FOR THE PECULIARITIES IN QUESTION. THE CONSIDERATION OF SOME SOLUTION FOR THE PROBLEM. THE DATA AT HAND CANNOT SUPPLY THE SOLUTION. THEY CAN ONLY SUGGEST IT. WHAT, THEN, ARE THE SOURCES OF THE SUGGESTION? CLEARLY PAST EXPERIENCE AND PRIOR KNOWLEDGE. IF THE PERSON HAS HAD SOME ACQUAINTANCE WITH SIMILAR SITUATIONS, if he has dealt with material of the same sort before, suggestions more or less apt and helpful are likely to arise. But unless there has been experience in some degree analogous, which may now be represented in imagination, confusion remains mere confusion. There is nothing upon which to draw in order to clarify it, even when a child or a grown-up As a problem, to urge him to think when he has no prior experiences involving some of the same conclusions is wholly futile. EXPLORATION AND TESTING If the suggestion that occurs is at once accepted, we have uncritical thinking, the minimum of reflection. To turn the thing over in mind, to reflect, means to hunt for additional evidence for new data that will develop the suggestion, and will either, as we say, bear it out, or else make obvious its absurdity and irrelevance. Given a genuine difficulty and a reasonable amount of analogous experience to draw upon, the difference, par excellence, between good and bad thinking is found at this point. The easiest way is to accept any suggestion that seems plausible and thereby bring to an end the condition of mental uneasiness. Reflective thinking is always more or less troublesome because it involves overcoming the inertia that inclines one to accept suggestions at their face value. It involves willingness to endure a condition of mental unrest and disturbance. Reflective thinking, in short, means judgment suspended during further inquiry And suspense is likely to be somewhat painful as we shall see later the most important factor in the training of good mental habits consists in inquiring the attitude of suspended conclusion and in mastering the various methods of searching for new materials to corroborate or to refute the first suggestions that occur to maintain the state of doubt and to carry on systematic and protracted inquiry. These are the essentials of thinking. End of chapter 1